I like realized like I was looking for love. I was looking for acceptance. I was looking for happiness. Hosh Bosh with Anita and Sara. This podcast is powered by Foundry, a hybrid progressive art space located in downtown Dubai's Boulevard. It includes exhibition spaces, co-working environment, a creative library, podcast room, and a cafe. Today's guest is Augustine Paredes, and I just met Augustine for the first time today, but after our conversation, I feel like I know him on so many levels because he's so honest, so open, so totally vulnerable, um, and I think that's what makes it he, him so appealing. That's why I want to listen to him talk forever. I don't know, did you feel the same way, Sarah? Yeah, there's something really mesmerizing about listening to Augustine talk because you can tell that he's giving you 100 and more than 100% of himself mm. and that comes across in his work, which is something that you can encounter without even meeting him, but it comes across even more when you speak to him and that's that's what that makes this episode so special. I haven't even had the chance to re-listen to it yet and I can already mm. tell it's pure gold. I don't think we have anything else to add, just... Listen to Augustine. Listen to Augustine. And if you get the chance, check out Augustine's work at the Warehouse 421 show. It's curated by Banat Collective, Sara Lagrubi, and Sara Bin Safwan. Augustine's work is in it. And as you'll know, the subject of most of this episode is Augustine's new book, which you can purchase at Gulf Photo Plus. Please do. Now listen to the rest of the episode. Augustine. Yes. Where's home for you? Are we starting? Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> home for me is where I am. I don't know. I don't have like a physical um, attestation to home, but if if it's where I'm from, like probably the Philippines is home. Um, but home is where I am. It sounded like Penny Lane talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> How do you make a place a home if it doesn't it doesn't feel like one to begin with? Um, I was um, I was friends with this um, person like when I was younger in my teens, and she's been through a lot, and she's been traveling in and out of the Philippines, you know, all of these like things that she's experienced. Um, but she told me that um, home is where you rest your head in, and like sometimes you know, as a migrant worker or as an expat make it sound fancy but as an immigrant like that's what essentially home is like Mm -hmm. it is where you rest your head it's where your pillows are Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be like where your memories live or all of that things it's 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 where you can sleep and rest at night Mm -hmm. i think i always thought that home was where people were like where my family was I mean, I think for other people, that's that's essentially is right. But I like your explanation. No, but like for me, like growing up um, in many different cities in the Philippines, it doesn't necessarily feel like home where I'm at. Um, I try to make it home because I have to be. It it otherwise I'd just be suffering in my sleep, and you know, like always turning side to side, and like you just have to accept that sometimes home is ephemeral, even. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Home is ephemeral. I think. I think for me, my my definition of home is is so different because I grew up 
as a complete nomad. I didn't live in a house for more than two years growing up. And so there was not a single place that was a home for me. But I remember when I turned 18, my parents uh, gave me a keychain as a gift. And the keychain had an inscription on it saying, home is where mama and dad are. Uh, and Aww. that key has changed since then. 10 times, but it's the fact that it's that keychain, that access to a place where my family is. I mean, that's really cheesy, but it just really shows that it's not like a concrete structure. It's not a specific city. It's nothing like that, but it's a, it's a moving ephemeral thing. Mm-hmm. Um, to change tangents slightly, I clocked that you're a reader. So could you tell us what you're reading? Right now? Yeah. Um, right now, I actually have a book in my back. Really? It's um, 40 Sonnets by David, David Patterson or Dad Patterson. Let me check. I just bought this yesterday. Um, researching for um, my SIF project. Yeah, Don Patterson, 40 Sonnets. Um, and also last night, I <clears throat> obviously, like I was taught poetry in school, but I didn't really want to understand my teacher. Mm. So I never knew what a sonnet is. Like, I only know it has 14 lines. But then last night I was listening to it. And actually, like, it's really cool because the the way they write, I think it's called iambic pattern. Pentameter. Pentameter. Yeah. Is that how you call it? Yeah. yeah. Pentameter. It's like ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. It's like heartbeat. And, like, after knowing that, like, I kind of read through the book entirely different. It's like, mm. okay, this is how it. This is why Shakespeare is so famous. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, I sound so dumb, but yeah. We can talk about another book that I like. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> um, I really love um, Ocean Vong. Um, Joan Didion also is one of my favorite writers. She is an ultimate inspiration. One time I called her agent to inquire <laughs> how much it would cost for me to talk to her. Um, this was I was in Dubai and um, I called like the US and... Uh, the the agent was like, yeah, um, twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> just speak with her. Just to talk with her. Um, oh my god. I was like, okay, yeah, maybe maybe he took it the wrong way because it probably asked he he speaker quoted fee. me yeah for for a speaker fee. But like I really just wanted to be <laughs> to feel that close to her. Um, I also read a lot of. Um, Haruki Murakami for my fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, Which one's your fave? Norwegian Wood. Norwegian Wood, the classic. Um, yeah, <laughs> and also After the Quake, okay. the, the series of um, short stories. Okay. My favorite story of that book is Honey Pie. Okay. Um, you have but... great taste in reading, I have to say. Thank you. <laughs> I picked up Kafka on the Shore at this library in Turkey once, and I didn't know anything about Haruki Murakami. So I was reading it, and I was like, what is going on <laughs> in this book? And I kept reading it, and then I was like, I don't know what that was about, but I feel like something in me changed. It's like, really that was a cool. journey. My favorite part of that mm-hmm. book was when it was raining fish. Um, for the cats and Mr. Nakata was there. Yeah. <laughs> and the talking cats too. There's so many talking cats in Japanese mm. literature. It's crazy. Oh, you should read this um I don't know if you've read it. Um it's by Banana Tam Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yoshimoto? Uh, the Kitchen? Yes. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that's a this good one. This is the first um encounter that I've had with a Japanese book that included a transgender um character. Yeah. Mm. Japanese books are really like they're cutting edge in what they're doing and they're very I like I had a period when I read like only Japanese literature and translation and it was truly a great period. My favorite one was this book called Life for Sale. Um, 
Oh, I'm going to forget the name of the author now, but it is so good. It's a short little book, but I swear it's so dark. It's a warning that it's dark, but it's dark in like a existential way where you're questioning like what is your meaning of your life and in this in the book this uh the protagonist um oh right it's by yukio mishima uh the protagonist puts an ad in the newspaper selling his life and he takes up any client who wants to do anything with his life including end it um and it's this like the series of adventures that he goes on but it's absurd i love that yeah i could sell my life to a film right would you buy it um, would I buy I your life? <laughs> $20,000? I think you should keep it. I think you should. <laughs> I could give you a 50% discount. No, if buy stop! <laughs> the rate's only going to go up from here. Um, I was wondering what photos have impacted you the most. Or like, what's the first photo that you looked at and you're like, this, this touched me? Photos are not very... Um, remarkable to me I mean growing mm -hmm. up like obviously I've been surrounded by like photo albums of my parents in like the 80s or like 70s um, but I don't remember any particular photo I do remember a particular book though okay. um, and the image of the book cover it's um, Hope for the Flowers I don't know if you've read that it's a story about a caterpillar that wanted to get on top of the caterpillar pile um, but he was going through the phase of cocooning um, only then that he needed he needed that experience to realize that he actually doesn't need to climb the cocoon the, the caterpillar pile he just needed to be a butterfly to get to the top um, and the, the, the image of the cover was um, yellow um, yellow black and white like it was a sketch um, and then there was a, a butterfly and a caterpillar and it it's just so pretty that's what I remember the most like is if, that a children's book? Or? Yeah, it is a children's That's book. That's such a beautiful story. Um, I don't know if it is actually a children's book, mm -hmm. um, but I read it when I was 12. Mm -hmm. um, Some books child? just last, <laughs> like The Little Prince. You can read that at yeah, any yeah, age yeah, yeah, and it yeah. makes sense. Um, you were telling us that the book you have in your bag, you started reading as research for the work you're doing for SEAF. So I'm really curious about how your <coughs> reading practice informs your artistic practice and, and what, what you mean when you say research, because it's not necessarily research in the sense that most people might understand. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily research the way other people research. I research in by reading a lot, by looking at movies, by looking at um, different artists' uh, works. Um, I, I picked up this book because I was thinking of um, what kind of story should entail my project for Seif. Um, I'm thinking of the Love Motel as, um, as, as a fictional space where liberty and freedom is easily accessible to anyone. Um, and I was looking at, I picked up Desire by Haruki Murakami yesterday just because I wanted to read again like a simple story that she had, uh, that he had and like there was this birthday girl there and I wanted to read that and like obviously the other things. Um, and then I passed by the poetry section and I was, I saw like sonnets. It's like, what the fuck is a sonnet? <laughs> um, so I picked up Don Patterson's book and like thought to myself like, oh, actually instead of putting up a story or a fiction write-up um, as an opening to, to my project, why don't I write, like, a sonnet? Or why don't I write, like, poems or, or something? Because, like, I feel like 
my writing practice informs my art artistic practice like if i i feel like they're they're just one art practice um it, it forms um each other um sometimes i write text before making work on um, making art I don't know how to explain it, but but yeah, it, it informs each other. Like it's sometimes yeah. right before making something or taking a photograph or making a painting, um, or I make a painting and then write a photograph, uh, write uh, write a text. And also, like I feel that um, text could also be a visual thing. Um, you see the text, you obviously um, visualize the how 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 it is. I I don't. I'm having a hard time. Mom, take me. <laughs> right now, I think this year, I consciously avoided the camera as much as possible because I wanted this year to be, you know, like exploring other things outside photography because I feel like that's important. And now I feel um, my f photographic practice really has evolved in a way that it is now including... Um, the essences of, of painting or like of, of understanding color of understanding mm -hmm. like placement and stuff like that I mean there's only so mm -hmm. much that a camera can do but also there's only so much that a text can do but also there's only so much that a painting can do so like <laughs> I feel like right now also like having this book format or like a short film format or like a video format like it, it blends in everything and it makes sense to me because like I work in a way that's very long it takes me years to finish like a body of work um so that's that's something that I feel makes more sense in in like defining what my art practice is but yeah like that's those are a lot of things <laughs> and you just released a book it's called long night stands with lonely lonely boys right yeah yes. this is i this is the main reason i wanted to have augustine <laughs> on the sh not okay that makes it sound like there's nothing else for us to talk about there's so much as you heard augustine's practice is such a, a rich rich thing but uh i know you started working on long night stands I'm just going to call it Long Night Stands yeah, yeah, for sure, uh, in 2014. Yes. Um, how did it take the form of a book? And did you know from the outset or was it through the collection? Can you take us a bit on the journey of how, you know, you went from 2014. <laughs> <laughs> Bless me. you. Thanks. Can you take us on the journey of how you went from 2014 to a book in 2021? Um, I... Basically, I've I've always been photographing whatever is in front of me um, before. Whenever I, I don't have anything um, to do or like whenever I'm confused, like I always used to have like a camera in my bag and just like take photos of what is surrounding me. Um, and then I fell in love in 2012 and I kind of kept myself from taking photos of, of that love and like suppressed all of that. And in 2014, I traveled um, to Stockholm for a photo editing training. And that was the first um, time that I actually felt truly free. I felt like I was holding hands outside. I was kissing outside. Like I was doing all of the, all of the things that I couldn't do because I was in my own closet. Um, and I freed myself at that time and then I went back home to the Philippines and I kind of kept the love that I felt when I was in Stockholm and like wrote emails wrote like texts and like photograph um, the, the things that I brought with me from that trip and I went to I went I went home with that like I wrote if 
I wrote like a, a zine called Venus is a boy and these were all like photographs of that trip and like this this person that I fell in love with during that short time um, and I just kept doing it like photographing whatever was in front of me like then from that person to another person so it was just like these moments of, of people and encounters with strangers that I like realized like I was looking for love I was looking for acceptance I was looking for happiness um, and then I presented it to a portfolio review in Manila during um, Art Fair Philippines and I presented to I presented I presented it to Wawi Navarosa and Kevin Kunishi um, I it was like a little it was a little postcard um, a series of postcards like it was like a wallet size postcards and it had like long line stands with lonely lonely boys and those were all the photographs that I kept and they told me um, why don't you just keep taking photos this is very early on in your work gather all the emails that you've sent gather all the conversations that you've had with these people and I told them like actually I'm thinking of not pursuing this project because I don't want to be perceived as promiscuous I don't want to be perceived as like living in a dangerous life um, as a person that I am like in in my community that's often like what is understood when they look at us right like there's always this notion of promiscuity of of danger of all these things and I wanted to avoid that I just wanted to show a series of, of photographs that depicted what love is from my point of view um, and then it just went on I forgot about the project but still like I wrote emails to two different people um, I just like I did not write the emails and I did not take photographs with the thought that it's going to be a book um, come 2018 I was um, I left that life the life that I lived um, and I moved in with a person that I'm with right now I um, fell in love in the way that I have not fallen in love. I felt safe, I felt home um, after living outside of the Philippines and like, you know, seeking love and, and acceptance and all these things in, in from bed spaces to bed spaces to partitions to partitions, understanding what it is to be an immigrant. I felt like it was time that I closed that chapter of my life. So then I fell in love and then I went to, um, I was doing Campus Art Dubai then and I had this project called How to Slouch When Sleeping um, and it was like another a prelude to my Art Dubai show which is Cooking Adobo in the Heart of Dubai and then I attended this um, workshop at GPP with Tanya Abjuka called I think Red Pill or Blue Pill like building your own narrative and like how to do that so I presented it I presented the two works um, Cooking Adobo in the Heart of Dubai and also How to Slouch When Sleeping um, to Tanya and then she told me I think like there's something missing here this is not just the project that you're showing like I know for sure that you're hiding something that you have like a series of photographs that you know you've kept from from the world and I said like I actually do and like I brought it one day I, I remember I brought like a tote bag with my old passport, my passport photos, my visa, my like all the letters, all the magnets that I've collected from the trips and stuff like that. And then she said like, see, this is what's missing. And then um, she told me, what's the title of this project? I know you have a title. I said like, Long Night Sounds with Lonely Lonely Boys. And it's just continue doing that. And then after that like week of, of exploring that project, um, I came up with a draft of a book. Tanya works really well with like building narratives and like it, like letting you explore what kind of output like your your project would have and like for us for me at least 
she told me that a book format would be good and I actually agreed um so I did have like my first draft first 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 draft um in 2018 and I was like okay then what um so I just continued doing it um and then between 2014 to 2018 that's obviously four years or more um I just like I spent the time after that curating the archive that I already had um and then I decided I think 2019 when I went to um international summer school of photography applied with that work long night stance and um we like I, I had like my final convincing that you know it's gonna be a book um and then now it it is a book <laughs> It is a book. It's a very long. It's 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 that's the short of it. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> what was the final convincing? Um, it was uh, I had like I think on the third or fourth day of of ISSP, we had like portfolio reviews, and I presented it, and I showed him the things that, you know, people like us would understand, and he said to me, "Yes, no one understands this except both of us because we've both been there." There was a photo of, I don't know if you remember in the book, there's a photo of La Depot in Paris. And yeah. And he told me that, yeah, people who know what it is like to be us yeah. have been there and they understand. Mm-hmm. So th- that was like, that was like one final thing that I said, actually, yeah, if people cannot articulate the things that they've been through, maybe I could do it for them. Not necessarily that they've been through what I've been through and not necessarily like mirroring what is in front of them, but also mm-hmm. maybe just that feeling. It could be replicated by different people. And it doesn't have to be people like me. It could be people like you. Yeah. It could be people that, you know, are going through this straight line rather than a curved line. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that all everything you're saying, and I mean, this isn't just me complimenting you because you're in front of me. Everything you're saying really does come through in the book and that like anyone, no matter their lived experience, can find something in there that really does like strike a chord with them and feels like something that's so close and intimately tied to their lived experience. And I think that's by virtue of your honesty. It feels like such an honest and like raw, um, yeah it's a it's a really special object i mean i have yet to read it i'm gonna order it online or maybe pick up my coffee copy at gulf photo plus at elster Cal, which everyone should do um but just speaking with you you're so candid so i'm sure that like the book is gonna have the same energy um now that you've finished the book and it's published how do you feel about the things that you wrote about i feel i haven't read the book again after the the print um i feel scared i feel like because during the the last editing um uh times like the last few days of of, before i I sent it to the printer i was looking at the things that i have written and i have experienced and i just felt so sad for myself for my past self like why did i put myself through so much and during in the moment, I remember so well that in the moment, I just felt so free. I just felt like, yeah, no, heartbreak is a part of life, whatever. I'm going to have to deal with it. But now, it doesn't have to be like that. Um, I look at the book and like look at the images, look at the the mementos that I've kept, the writings that I, I wrote for people, for the emails that I've sent to people. I realized that I, like, I really was looking for love 
and sometimes I look for love in, in the wrong places. And sometimes I carry my baggage of loss and longing and opened the the luggage to and the baggage to, to the people that are not willing to open it with me. Um and it's it's just also like looking back at the experiences, especially during um the Lonely Transit ch- chapter two, um I put myself in so much danger. I put myself in, in many dangerous situations that I don't think I would do again. I like during the Lonely Transit time I was between twenty to twenty five, twenty six and I realized that during that time it was really something that I overlooked. Like I would go to a person's house and like not worry about being beaten up, being robbed, being like just for the sake of this slight chance of happiness, that sliver of love that I could find. Like I would like go through all of that. I remember one time I traveled to like I traveled to a place to a city only to be rejected um after like that like slight love feeling um mm. and and it just like why like sometimes i look at myself as like did you really deserve that because like sometimes i i also look at myself in the mirror it's like do you deserve all the things that happened to you is it you wanting them um but yeah it's 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 that like i feel scared looking um i feel scared of what it might like open up again mm-hmm. um yeah yeah i think we, everyone comes to healthy love on a different path and everyone mm-hmm. has a path yeah. no one goes straight to healthy love that's true welcome home sweet home yeah <laughs> um uh you briefly mentioned uh, how to slouch when sleeping as something that you did was it initially in art dubai um, it was, yeah, I think I was doing Campus Art Dubai uh, 6.0 then. Um, yeah, it, it was during that time that it was the, the project or the series of, of self-portraits happened. Mm-hmm. So that's an image that I have to say, it's extremely, it's a very poignant image. And it's, it's also the cover of Long Night Stands, right? No. No? No. That's another, that's another image. Yeah. Or is it a painting? Uh, so the painting on the cover of Long Night Stands is a photograph of... A boy sleeping in Hostel Beirut. Oh, um, it's like the parallel image. Yeah. Okay. And but these like these images happened like simultaneously. Like I did not plan it to be looking the same. Wow. Um, That's yeah. amazing. In my mind, maybe because it's there's also that beautiful uh, clear sheet covering of the book as well. It's a beautiful book. You have to <laughs> I think it it's Sara's curatorial mind, you know, putting them together. <laughs> yeah, it's probably that. Um, but specifically how to slouch when sleeping it's it's an image that's been exhibited quite uh prolifically in dubai it was shown in christopher benton's show at maison 15 uh and i'm not gonna make the mistake it was not shown at engage 101's show no no that was the other one (laughs) um but it is now actually on show in a new iteration uh, at Warehouse 421 in the Banat Collective show As We Gaze Upon Her. Uh, and I'm really interested in how you've reconfigured the image on textile, which I know that you've been exploring a lot recently. Maybe you could tell us a bit more about that iteration of, of it. Um, so how does Lachino Sleeping actually, I, I photographed it during, um, I think 2017. I was doing Campus Art to buy 6.0 and like we didn't have like a show then. Um, 
I did two campus art buys. The second one had a show, but this one was, um, I think, after I researched twenty seventeen, like I was like still grasping this this idea of what art is and like how you can put intellect in 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 your photographs. Um, I was researching the life of an immigrant here in the in 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 Dubai, and I was like going through um, different places where Filipinos often are. And I realized that why am I looking for stories of these different people that I don't really know when I can just look at myself? Um, that's the start of my journey to introspection um, when I kind of turned the camera towards me. And I recreated this, uh, this image. Um, it was in the image that I recreated was my first experience in Dubai where like, I had my big bag. I had like my camera and my shoes and like I basically called that bed space home for three months and I photographed like I recreated that photograph in in like a better um, version of a bed space um, in 2017 and then I submitted it to an open call at the uh, Gulf Photo Plus um, No Place Like Home exhibition and then it was picked up by the national it was picked up by like all these other things and I used it as a portfolio to apply for campus art to buy 7.0 um, and then from there, I developed Cooking Adobe in the Heart of Dubai, um, wherein like I also staged um, images that I like have understood in, in developing this practice. Um, and then from there, I used it. Um, I, I, I think I submitted it into um, different things as well. Um, but it has become like a staple image of this um experience um it is a very important image in my book even and it's in all the things i've done um and then come uh mason 15 show like uh, there were three photographs that i wanted to exhibit at, at that part um one is that image um how to slash your sleeping another one is um a boy sleeping in hostel beirut which is the blue um the blue image and then there's a third one that um is entitled in our rooms we are free and it's a it's a it's a recreation again of a photograph of an early memory um, with my best friend in my old childhood bedroom when I went to went back to the Philippines and it was um, him draped in like patterned blankets um, slouch in the way that you know the the, the other boys were slouching um, but it, it is a memory of like early queerness um, so then after that I I kind of like kept researching on how to like work with textile because textile has also been a really big part of the photo itself it is a, it is a, it is um the blanket that covers half of my body it is um the 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 textile that i lay on the bed with um and yeah so it's it's something that i've i've been i've been curious about like how does it feel to to transform your photograph into a different object um, and then I was given the chance to explore this with um, my Warehouse 421 show um, with the Mina Zaid exhibition and I was allowed to print it in in um, fabric like these photographs of, of, of the of, of the trucks um, in the parking lots and it was it felt like amazing to walk through the image and actually watch the image float and sway with the wind and I kind of took that as um, as an inspiration for this now we are to 2021 um of of this image where like i wanted i told them um i got a call from saria al-grubi 
and she wanted to know more about the photo and then I explained what I just explained now um, but I told them that I wanted to be taken off the wall usually this image has been exhibited in on the wall like as a photograph framed um, in white or usually black with white matting and I just like felt like how do I control how I'm being looked at? Because this image has been looked at so many times. I have been looked at so many times. How do I control how people look at me? And then this is where the gaze comes. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be taken off the wall because I didn't want to be looked at eye to eye, um, body to eye, like and the same level. I wanted to control how they looked at me and I wanted to be looked down upon because I allowed them to. And then I wanted to contort my body in this um, fetal position as it already has been in the photo and then stretched out like a foldable bed that is very uncomfortable to sleep in and put all of the things that are in the photo and crumple it and like have it make a space of its own but also being compromised that the photo of slouching is now being slouched yet again but also I have allowed as the creator to be slouched that way. I have allowed you to look at me from the point where you are. I'm controlling your gaze, not because you have come here expecting that you would look at me in the same way because we are not equal. Who has the power of the gaze right now? Does it, is it me that I controlled you or is it you that you're at a higher level of perspective? Um, so it's, it's that, like, that's what I've been, like, how I arrived there. <laughs> I think that's an, inc I'm so glad I asked that question. That's a way better answer than I expected. And um, again, a really lovely piece. If you get the chance, drive over to Abu Dhabi, or if you're in Abu Dhabi, go check out the Warehouse 41 exhibition, uh, Sara Al-Agrubi. We love her. She was on the show. Sara's a fun. We love too. We want to have her on the show. Sara, if you're listening, you're next. Um, and Augustine's work is, is, is in that show. And as you hear, there's a great story behind it. And the gaze, he gave you permission to look at it. <laughs> okay, so one, oh, this is such a good question. No one has ever picked one before. What is your idea of perfect happiness? What the fuck? No, that's there's a reason why it has not been asked. Um, perfect happiness? I don't know. I don't have an idea of what it is. It will come when it comes, and when it comes, I will embrace it with all my entirety. I want to be perfectly happy. Don't you? Doesn't everyone? <laughs> yes. Okay. I think four comes in moments, right? Yeah, it comes in waves. Happiness. Um. One, four. What is the trait you most deplore in others? I hate it when they are dishonest. I mm -hmm. hate dishonesty. Mood. Yeah. Right? Like, cause sometimes you can be honest. Uh, you can be dishonest, but there's still a sliver of truth that comes with it. Um, is that full dishonesty? Does that count as something you deplore? I don't know. Who knows? You! <laughs> <laughs> And then on a similar line, what is the trait you most deplore in yourself? And now you can't say dishonesty because no. we know you're an honest person. <laughs> I'm a very honest person. I am very vulnerable. And I think my vulnerability comes to a fault sometimes, I think. But that's not something I hate. Maybe what I hate the most about myself is that I hate myself so much. Yeah. <laughs> 
I I um, self-inflict hatred onto myself. And it's I know for sure I'm not the only one that does that. I look at myself like, what the fuck? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I hate the most about me. That I hate myself. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you should also not think of hating yourself because you don't deserve hate, especially mm-hmm. from yourself. But it's and not like, a logical thing. Yeah. Yeah. We are bound to just keep hating ourselves. It, there's no way out. <laughs> what great note to end up <laughs> I'm so sorry okay you can ask me a different question we can erase that shall we ask a different question yeah 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 that sounds very deprecating okay we're gonna do a bonus question with Augustine because we don't want to end on that depressing note if you could change one thing about yourself what would it be it would be that I want to change um, the the previous answer i want to be able to love myself fully i want to learn self-love the way other people love themselves um yeah i want to love myself more that's that's one thing that i would want to change that's a positive choice that's yeah. positive, right? like, yeah. same answer different choice. i love it okay well thank you so much augustine for joining us today and sharing your heart thank you thank you it's my pleasure ASMR. <laughs>